It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show, and today we are talking about Royal Quest from the Copper Box in London. And I have two attendees of that very show to give us some live reporting. First of all, I have Mr. Mo Chatra. How are you, sir? Oh, splendid, James. Yeah, really, really good. Excellent. We also have Mr. Alex Edwards. How are you, sir? Hello, I'm good. Looking forward to talking about this one. I'm pretty sure I say that exact same thing every single time I'm on this show. I think... (laughs) Yeah, I suppose so. I mean, mean, there's been a couple of shows where we've gone like, oh, we have to do this. But it's mainly me and Marcus about impact shows. (laughs) Yeah, or when it's sort of night 20 of the g1 and we've been doing it every day and it's not that it's a bad <laughs> show it's just oh so much wrestling yes i now need sleep yeah i think i think there was probably i think the new japan cup semi-final shows were a bit like that because there was so much wrestling and some of it wasn't that good at the start of the new japan cup <laughs> but anywho so new japan pro wrestling in a continuing international expansion as we talked with ben splinter a few weeks ago we did say it's slow and steady with their international expansion and London is the next hit ground. Now, the Copper Box drew 6,000 fans, I believe. Let me have a look and get the right numbers from the good folks at Cage Match. 6,119. And both of you two were the, one of the 600, well, 6,119. So, Alex, what were your thoughts and overall thoughts on the show and the presentation as a live experience before we go into the matches? I think the thing that struck me the most was when I first walked into the Copper Box and saw sort of the stage set up and the ring set up and everything, felt like I'd walked into a Japanese venue and was watching yeah. a real true New Japan show. Uh, it had that atmosphere that that sort of comes through when you watch on a show from a, a Japanese venue, um, which I thought was really cool that they managed to recreate that same atmosphere in London. Um, so, yeah, I thought sort of first impressions on that, it was really cool. And the whole... You know, the, the way the show is constructed and the matches all really brought that forward as well. I think when we first saw the card released, a lot of people were kind of shocked to see, oh, wait, this is an actual big New Japan show. Because yeah, yeah, when yeah. it was very first announced months and months ago, people thought it was going to be more of just a, a house show kind of thing or just full of random tag matches and stuff uh, just to say, oh, we've done a show in the UK. But no, yeah. they really went the whole way with this one and gave us a really big show with as we're going to get onto some big title matches as well which was really really cool um and i'm wondering if that means i mean i'm sure we'll talk about this more later but i wonder if that means the expansion to the uk is going to be even more of a focus going forward um you know with more shows like this in years to come Mo, what's your thoughts on that? How can New Japan kind of consolidate their position? Or would you prefer to talk about that after the show? Like after we've talked no, about no. that? I mean, we can talk about it now. I mean, I think that um, there's certainly a market to be exploited in terms of uh, the interest in New Japan at the moment. And I think that um, this is just the start. And I think it's really odd, in fact, that they haven't managed to secure a TV deal. I think that certainly for the time being, they could do worse than perhaps um, bring somebody in who can help secure 
the TV deal in the UK, but also in other European countries as well, and really establish a bit of a foothold because, I mean, yes, I mean, in the, in the day of um, video on demand and streaming services, um, the power of television and its um, standing within the general entertainment sphere isn't quite as strong as it once was, but to have TV coverage, nonetheless, um, it still means something. And I think that um, the TV show that they've had airing on X, is it pronounced Access or AXS? Yes. Yeah, that that has actually helped a lot in terms of New Japan's profile in the States. And I think it could have a similar effect here if they got the right deal, right channel, right time slot, um, that that could really be something. So I'd, I'd like to think that they can use this show to help secure something. But I think they need some help. I don't think, uh, with all due respect to Andy and everyone else at RevPro, that they necessarily have the expertise or the contacts to be able to do uh, pull off a deal like that. So they need to just make those connections with the people that know how to strike those type, types of deals and get that done. And even if it's just a short-term thing, maybe open up an office just to bring in um, a couple of tours a year and um, do things like, you know, PR appearances. So Simon Rothstein, who's my you know very good friend who has worked for many years for Impact, has done a sterling job um, over the years, you know, promoting mm. that company when they've come over here. And, uh, you know, New Japan can do with something like that. I'm not trying to set Simon up for a job with New Japan, by the way. <laughs> but, uh, um, that, that wouldn't be the worst idea to getting somebody like that to... Uh, you know, really help them because, I, as I say, I, I think that you know there's certainly a market here, and I don't feel that New Japan uh, quite maximise and exploit that to its fullest. Yeah, yeah, I and mean, I think, I think that's so. so I, I mean, you're right about the Access TV deal. It'll be interesting to see, as we know this week, Anthony Laporte controlling interest of Access, and that's it was announced today that Impact Wrestling will be moving to Access when their deal runs out where they are on whatever channel mind you i think they own that channel as well so they're, they're going to a much bigger audience be interesting to see if that new japan deal will be honored till the end of the contract uh, and to see where new japan if, if they go anywhere else next because their deal with access has been quite bespoke and has been quite frankly phenomenal for new japan in building that audience in the u.s and being able to go places like playing in dallas and play uh, playing san francisco and la and long beach so we'll be it will be interesting to see where they go with that but i think you're right Let's figure like uh, Mr. Alex Shane might be uh, just the person to talk to. Anyway, we'll move on to the cards. Rapingi 3K, Rocky Romero, Show and Yo. They defeated Ren Narita, Raisuki Taguchi, and Shota Umino in a six man tag. Mo, what's your thoughts on this one? Because this looked like a lot of fun. And by gum, is Rocky Romero over in London? It was. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, he is um, the perfect curtain jerker. Uh, he um, really opened the show. You know, he's, he's got that personality, that charisma. And showing Yo, you know, that they've certainly uh, learned off of him in terms of, you know, exuding that kind of presence. And, um, you know, they, they've got a really great look going for them as well. And then on the other side of the ring, you've got, um, you know, Umino Narita, who, you know, really coming on. And uh, obviously Taguchi's got that kind of cult following. So, um, you know, there were six... Um, talents that are over to an extent with that you know, New Japan crowd and uh, I thought they mixed um, comedy and athleticism and um, you know, kept it a, you know, a reasonable kind of uh, pace for the eight or so minutes that they went and uh, yeah in, in many ways uh, it was the ideal opener for New Japan. 
and um, you know, it really got the whole show off on, on the right foot. Well, we should say, of course, it is now Shooter, you know, as uh, John Moxley. Oh, yeah. Shooter, you know. Alex, what are your thoughts on this opener? Yeah, pretty much agreeing with what Mo just said. Um, I thought this was a really good opening match. It had that mix of of basically what you said about it just being fun and it was just right from the start showed how good of a crowd was there not to sort of brag or anything but uh (laughs) how good of a crowd was there in the building that night uh as you said about rocky romero being so so over same with shooter umino um yeah it was just a really good fun opening match lots of fast-paced action and getting things off to a good start. Okay, then. We move on to the next match, which had Juice Robinson and Kota Ibushi. Again, another incredible... In fact, both of them were incredibly popular, but Ibushi was on another level in this match. And they wrestled Hikaleo and Yujiro Takahashi. Hikaleo only gets pulled in for a tour here and there. There was an interview with him in Indie Empire magazine a couple of months ago. He's kind of like doing the right things though to get into that position like Chase Owens did not long ago and become a signed guy and a made man in the company because he's consistent. He doesn't really rock the boat. He does what he's supposed to do and does it pretty well. I mean, it's never going to be like Luthez or anything, but I think he's I think he's kind of like earned his occasional spot now. Um, Ujiro's Ujiro. <laughs> Tokyo <laughs> pipping away there. Uh, Alex, what's your thoughts on this? Kind of Perfunctory tag match that was there to kind of showcase Kota and Juice. Yeah, pretty much. I think the main takeaway from this match is how excited the crowd were to see Kota Ibushi. I mean, yeah. this was his first appearance on a, a big show since winning the G1. And so the crowd were so, so loud for him when he first came out. And that, that persisted throughout the entire match where ev- he, he could do no wrong. Everything he did, people loved and I think he he said in um, a post-match interview about just loving performing in London and that energy that the crowd gave him. Um, and that was, as I said, my main takeaway. The match itself was fine. It was a basic, you know, eight-minute tag match. People did their stuff. It was all good. <laughs> but I think, yeah, the main takeaway there was crowd reaction for Kota. Mo, what's your thoughts on this one? Well, it was my first time seeing Ibushi live, I think. Um, in fact, I'm certain it was. And, uh, well, what an individual. Cuts a fine figure of a man, doesn't he? Um, you know, he, he's, he's really got it all. Um, he's got that look. He's a tremendous worker. He's got charisma. Um, you know, I, I think New Japan, if they choose to do so, um, booking he against Okada for January the 4th, uh, could really sell out that venue. Um you know, he, he's a special talent and uh, I think that the crowd, you know, in that venue were absolutely treating him like a, an utter superstar. And I remember back in the Attitude Era, um, the kind of reactions that some of the hottest stars in the WWE used to get. I was in Manchester back in 1998. I think it was, you might have even been there, James. Um, it was the Manchester News Arena at the time, I think it was called. And yeah. um this was about a week after Austin won the WWF title for the first time. The venue was sold out and the reaction to Austin was incredible. And the reactions to two or three individuals on this night, and Ibushi being one of them, 
uh, were very similar, even obviously a much smaller crowd, um, mm. you know, relative to the size of the crowd, it was incredible. And um, it just showed how over the company is, the talents are, um, they, yeah. they understood everything. It was a very knowledgeable crowd and it showed that, you know, this wasn't just a casual crowd that had heard of some of these individuals and came along to see those. They, they seemed to know, you know, pretty much every talent on the show. They knew the signature spots. Um, they knew um, all the nuances and those little things which, um, you know, a kind of hardcore committed type of fan, um, you know, will know and understand. Mm. And that, that was what helped it be such a special atmosphere. But the match itself, um, you know, it was a, a heap of fun. And the other kind of comment I just want to make is, I really have to admire uh, Juice Robinson. You know, after he was let go by the WWE some yeah. three, four years ago now, um, you know, other people in that position would have felt sorry for themselves and maybe even walked away from the business thinking, well, it was my dream to make it in that company and they rejected me. Instead, he used it to inspire him. And he's, he's another one that really comes across like a consummate pro, um, such a talented worker, worker. The basics are good. Um, comes across with personality with a superstar Aurora and um, he's really used that um, to to his advantage and he he's um, a really really fine talent and I'm really impressed with him yeah I would completely agree with that I, we, we all love Juice at this show you know he's he, you kind of used to admire him because he tried so hard now you don't have to have him admire him because he tries so hard that's a given he's just one of the best workers on the card you know he's he's the He's not on the NATO Okada level as far as pure worker is concerned, but he is like he's over. He knows how to build a match. He knows how to put a match together. Look at the experience dad. Look at the guys he's wrestled. Kind of looking forward to him doing some different things with different people when this run with Moxley's over. Actually, kind of like Juice Robinson versus Minoru Suzuki. That'd be a really interesting thing to watch now that Juice is on that level, if you see what I mean. So, yeah, it, yeah, Juice is just great, and he deserves everything he's done because he's worked incredibly hard to get there. Right, the next match was Birds of Prey, Robbie Eagles, and Will Ospreay. They defeated Bullet Club, El Fantasmo, Taiji Ishimura, your IWGP junior heavyweight titles, and started claiming title shots. This was a bit of an insane tag team match, to be honest with you. Everyone said, oh, when the book's left, oh, it's all going to be downhill for the tag teams. No one's going to fly around like they did. Well... It, this was a bit mental, to be honest with you. Uh, Ishimori and Fantasmo are amazing. Robbie Eagles and Willie Ospreay are also equally amazing. So this was kind of a high spot fest. But there was a well-told story. Everyone still hates El Fantasmo. Taiji Ishimori is still one of the best workers at, to come out of Japan in the last 20 years. And Robbie Eagles is starting to find his feet as a member of Chaos and as a wrestler in New Japan. And Will Ospreay is freaking Will Ospreay. Mo, what's your thoughts on this at the moment with these four wrestlers who are really trying to kind of like grab attention in the middle of the card or even up to the top of the card from time to time? I mean, one of the things I was slightly disappointed about was the fact that um, I felt that New Japan could have booked Osprey in a more high-profile match. But uh, despite that, I still felt that wherever he is on the card, he will give it his all, he will put in 100%. And he will still try to steal the show in his own little way. And whilst he didn't quite manage that, um, he was magnificent. As a talent this year, he's having in the ring as good a year as any professional wrestler in the history of the business. And that is not an exaggeration. Um, mm. He has been remarkably consistent. Um, 
you know, you, you're, you're talking Flair 1989, Misawa 1993, Manami Toyota 1992 levels of consistency. Um, it's frightening how good he is. Um, and um, his, his work was so slick and um, he just makes it look so effortless as well. Um, he, he's just so gifted in the ring. It's just uh, remarkable to see in the flesh. And um, whether it's a crowd of you know 6,000 in a sold out copper box or 150 in a ledger center, um, you know, he, he will still, um, you know, put everything into it. So that, that's really great to see. Um, but the match itself was really, really good. And um, just going back to Osprey, the, the reaction to him, um, he probably got the loudest reaction of the night. And that's saying something because there was, you know, it's a good six, seven of them on, on, on the show that got these really big superstar reactions. But the, the pop and the reaction when Osprey came out was just something else. And uh, yeah, it, it was really, really, um, it, was, it was a sort of thing that kind of, you know, leaves you with, you know, um, you know, the hair standing up at the back of your neck sort of thing. It was uh, really good seeing from a talent that, you know, we've all seen kind of come through over the last several years here in the UK mm-hmm. um, to now be one of the preeminent workers in the business and a bona fide superstar. It, it, it's just a, a pleasure to, to witness it. Alex, what's your thoughts on these four? I think the first thing I want to say is just following, following up on what Mo just said. Will Ospreay is someone that back in 2014, 2015, I was filming matches of his in leisure centres in front of 50 people. And at the time, you could tell, although he was still a bit you know, rough around the edges, he was something special. And now to see him in front of a crowd like this, on a stage like this, and how fantastic he has been in the past year or so is just incredible to see um another person in this match that's really impressed me is taiji ishimori where he's sort of i think been quietly having a really great run since coming into new japan where where you know we know he's always been a fantastic wrestler but he's been really having some off the charts matches and not really getting as much praise for it as you might expect. Now that's not to say he's not getting praise. He is, but I just feel like if, if you transplanted, it transplanted him to, you know, to a WWE a few years ago or to even a new Japan back in the mid, the, the early 2010s, that sort of time, you would be raving about how amazing of a junior heavyweight talent he is. I guess it's just one of those sort of embarrassment of riches things where now, because everyone on the card is so good, he gets buried a little bit. But I just wanted to highlight how, especially seeing him live, how fantastic he really is. No, no, I completely agree with you. It's essentially the, the effect he had on Impact Wrestling three years ago when he went there for about six months and just blew everybody away. And then went back to Noah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think as well, one of the things that it's kind of a double edged sword in one sense. The things that Taiji's done, you know, he's been the top of the card junior ace. He's done that. He did a year of that. 
but he's also gone down and been opening match cannon fodder for Bullet Club when he needed to be. If they need the UK tour last year, he was, I don't think he got, was on a winning team all the way through that tour because they needed somebody, they needed bodies. And he's quite happy to do that. He's kind of like a company guy. He, he's willing to do anything they need him to. And maybe that's one of the reasons why he's not getting the praise he should do because he's kind of like, maybe had one or two tours where he's been a bit off the boil and they needed to be more wary of his position on the card. Because uh, that does some some lost in the shuffle happens everywhere. Sometimes it's just one of those things. But again, you think, you think you're right. I mean, you look at Yo and Show, who are phenomenal. You've got Will Ospreay, who's phenomenal. You can get Dragon Lee whenever you want. He's phenomenal. You know, you're talking guys like, it's like getting to be like the mid to late 90s in the junior heavyweight division when you had Sasuke and Liger and Delphin and all these great, great, great junior heavyweights, possibly the greatest generation of junior heavyweights all in the same time in all of the companies and all the companies are working together because they all want to wrestle each other. And you've kind of got that going on in New Japan now. So it is, it is difficult for um, Taiji sometimes to make headway, I think. But you're right. I think he could be... It could be more than that, but look at the other guys that got in this match. Fantasmo's coming in as the hot new thing and is looking like the hot new thing. So we'll see how that develops. But yes, a very good, very, very good matchup. Next up was Les Ignorables, De Japon, Sanada, and Tetsuya Nato, who again was incredibly over. And they defeated Chase Owens and Jay White in 12 minutes and 59 seconds with Gado. Um, Chase and Sanada have had this on again, off again feud. Which I don't think is quite as hard as the quite as high up as the Akada Sonada feud. Poor Chase, forever trying to get out of the uh, paradise lock. Alex, what's your thoughts on these four? I mean, yeah, like you just said, this is another one of those superstar reactions for Naito and Jay White being, I think, the most hated guy in London that day. Um, so again, I can think to... somebody spoke to him later. <laughs> Well, all right, maybe London's a bit of an exaggeration there. Let's say in <laughs> that particular area of London at that particular time. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, I'm just repeating the bragging for the crowd there. But um, yeah. this match was, again, it's it's a fun mid-card match with some big names in it, It mainly in, you know, Jay White and Naito. Um I think Jay White as a heel recently has really come into his own. We spoke about this throughout the G1 where he really now seems to understand the character that he's playing and he's really making sure that all his matches are really focusing on that that sort of mm. underhanded, cocky sort of character. Um so it's it's nice to see, you know, how different he's become compared to when he first came in. I'm thinking of the, the Tanahashi match at Wrestle Kingdom, which was very underwhelming. Compared to now, he's having some really great matches. And even in a, a mid-card tag like this, he's putting on good performances and really clicking with each crowd he's wrestling mm. in front of. Uh, on the other hand, you've got Naito, who is doing that exact same clicking with the crowd, but in the complete opposite way, where everything he does is getting a huge baby baby face reaction. And, you know, it's really... I'm just saying, it's really fun to see how... It, I've lost my words. <laughs> Let me start again. Let me start again. Um, 
So I'm just saying it's really interesting to see how watching a New Japan show, you know, on New Japan World and that feeling you get for the different characters, it's interesting to see how they come across to a li- in a live environment like this, mm. uh, which is something that, I mean, me personally, I've not experienced before because I've not been to a New Japan show before. Um, so it's inter- interesting to see how people like Naito or like Jay White interact with the crowd in person. It's the little things they do when they aren't even in the match, when they're in the apron, they're interacting with the crowd. Ghetto as a manager is fantastic live. And mm. I think that was a takeaway for me from most of these matches was just watching the things you wouldn't usually see on screen if you're watching it recorded and seeing how they work. I think yeah. it was cool to see the, the those sorts of little things. Uh, Okay. Mo, what's your thoughts on these four? Yeah, just to kind of um, follow on from Alex's point. Um, yeah, I think being there live, um, it was a really good opportunity to observe Jay White. Um, you know, he's somebody that comes in for quite a, a lot of scrutiny, actually, um, mm-hmm. amongst pro wrestlers. Uh, he divides opinion um, and then some, you know, there are those that think, you know, he's a really exceptional performer and others that are just not convinced by him in the slightest. And so I, I was watching him quite closely in this match. And uh, I mean, f- the f- first thing to say is, uh, you know, in terms of his look and his presence, um, you know, he, he's really uh, worked on his uh, physique this year. He's, mm. he's actually lost a lot of weight. Um, so I, I saw him for Ring of Honor in, in Leicester about two, three years ago. And he seems to, since then, have dropped a good 15, 20 pounds. Um, so he's very lean. He's, he's about 170, 175 pounds, even though um, if you watch him on TV, he does, he's, he does look bigger. But he's very slim and slender now. Um, Builders, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But his, his mannerisms, those little things that Alex was talking about, um, to live audience, you know, work so well. And this was one of the criticisms I had of him in the past. And I think, as I mentioned when I was last on on the podcast, um, you know, he seems to really work on that. And it was really evident watching him live um, that he's really developing into a top class bona fide heel now. And uh, he's on the cusp of being the preeminent heel in the business uh, in, in terms of just, you know, being a heel. Um, yeah. that, that, that is, um, you know, how far he's progressed. Um, Naito, you know, he's just... Uh, a wonderful talent and uh you know sonada is one of those that um you know I've, I've been a fan on since it, a fan of rather since his all japan days and i think that um you know something that we'll talk about later on um, is a perfect opportunity to for him to really show whether he is somebody who is worthy of being at that main event level i think he's just bubbling under um but you know he'll certainly get an opportunity soon uh, but the match itself, I mean, I, I didn't think it was a great match. It was, if, in, if anything, one of the weaker matches on the show. Uh, but it certainly served its purpose. Um, NATO uh, came across as a complete and utter superstar. And Jay White um, was a really effective heel. Uh, and Sonata and you know, Owens um, you know, chipped in quite handily as well. So uh, for what it needed to do on, on the card, um, it was perfectly fine. Yeah, I'm jealous of you two. You got to see Chase Owens in a tag match. Uh, why? <laughs> Because, like, I personally think Chase Owens is the best tag wrestler in the world. Just as an individual, he's kind of like Arn Anderson, you know, Yonaki Arna levels of good, but he doesn't get it 
the praise he does because he's the he's you know it, Chase Owens eater of pins as Cy calls him, <laughs> but you know he's not the superstar, but he is so good at what he does, and New Japan need him to do that. And yeah, I I, I love watching him wrestle personally. But anywho, we move on to the serious business in tag team wrestling. The IWGP Tag Team Championship match depicting Gorillas of Destiny with Jado against Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. 12 minutes and 56 seconds of a pretty thrilling tag match, I have to say. I've been watching Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis for a long time now, and to see them get an opportunity like this was absolutely thrilling. This is a proper hometown boys moment, even though they were in the wrong country, but they've kind of been adopted. It, they, if there's a tag team that kind of sums up Brit rest at the minute, it's Aussie Open. They're Saxon Freud, they're Tuesday Night Graps, they're RPW, they're Progress, they're, they're the, the guys that work for everybody. Everybody loves them. They work incredibly hard at what they do, and they are very, very good at what they do. And Gorillas of Destiny, Tanga, Tawa, Tanga Tonga and Tanga Loa doing their thing. They don't get as much props. They're not a Young Bucks level tag team, but they do what they do very well. And I really did enjoy this match. And it was well laid out and a really well told story. And I think the important thing for Aussie Open was to not look like an indie wrestling team. They had to look like main event players. And I think they pulled that off. But you two may not agree with me. What do you, Mo, what do you think of this championship match? I have to agree with you. I thought it was a really, really good match. Um, you know, this was a really big test for Davis and Fletcher. Yeah, certainly on the indie scene. Uh, for a variety of promotions, uh, they come across like a major deal, but in a bigger arena against an established um, major promotion act in this kind of setting, could they still come across as a big deal? Absolutely, they did, 100%. And I think that New Japan should seriously consider, uh, certainly at the very least, bringing these guys in for more bookings in Japan and they might even be toying with the idea of making them regulars. They were that good. Um, mm. you know, they absolutely hung in there. And if anything, were the better of the two teams. And, uh, you know, all, all credit to the two because um, Davis and Fletcher are, again, you know, similar to how I talked about Osprey earlier, one of these teams that, you know, gives it their all, um, no matter if it's um, a big show in the York Hall for um, Rev Pro or if it's a, smaller show in front of 100 fans um you know they will always bring it and sure enough they did here it was an exceptional performance by their um high standards and um i really do hope that something comes of this for them uh, and uh, it would be thoroughly well deserved it would be a loss to brit rest again seeing yet another act um become regulars or certainly more frequently used elsewhere um but you know they came here to gain that experience and to get a bit more exposure. And, um, you know, this was um, their biggest match in that regard. And, uh, you know, they certainly hit it out of the park. i tell you what I can't get over is I kind of used to seeing them live where they look kind of small in my eyes for some reason. And then I'm watching it on TV. And, like, I always kind of think of Tangaloa and Tamatonga as a big heavyweight tag team because they are. And they towered over them. <laughs> I was like, this, this, this just looks wrong. <laughs> I'm now thinking of Tamatonga is short, and he really isn't. But yeah, it was a bit strange. Alex, what are your thoughts on the championship matchup? 
Yeah, I guess I just want to follow on from what you guys have just said for a second uh, about Aussie Open. Um, I think this match showed that they can hang with, you know, the bigger names and hang on a bigger show. Uh, and I think they would be an interesting signing for New Japan in that New Japan are looking to expand into the West, into America, into the UK and Australia as their three main Western bases. Uh in Aussie Open, you've got a team who, obviously, they appeal to the British wrestling audience because they've been over here for the past couple of years. They've established themselves as big names on the on the local scene here. But then when you go to Australia, you've got your hometown team who are, again, they're going to have their big reactions. They're going to really get Australian crowds into things too. So... They're sort of they're covering a lot of bases by signing a team like this. Um, as for the match, it was, a, I mean, obviously a good match. Um, Aussie Open, as I said, looked like they really fit in in this division. Uh, Tamatonga and Tangaloa, we know, are a good t- a, what, a good team and a heavily improved team from when they first mm. started. They at one time had the reputation of being just incredibly boring to watch but they've really turned things around now and are putting on some really good matches this was another one of them um i thought it was interesting how the crowd split though yeah especially especially in my section at least this may not have been the case elsewhere but in my section it was a pretty big split in favor of god where it was sort of 80 percent of the people in my section were Chanting God and the and then not that much for Aussie Open. Uh, I haven't watched this match in particular back yet, so I'm not sure how it came across on TV. Uh, but yeah, it was just interesting to see that split, especially thinking about Aussie Open as a a team that are very popular in the UK. How maybe that they weren't that popular with certain members of the crowd. I think, well, there is the point as well, like it's a New Japan crowd, not necessarily a Rev Pro crowd or a Progress crowd. And they're going to go with the guys they know really well. And if it's a New Japan crowd, and that's, you know, like if 3,000 of the people there only know the people who've been wrestling on New Japan World, they're going to cheer for the GOD, aren't they? So, uh, yeah. Just jumping into that, um, just very quickly. I I was sat um, second row, very, very close to... uh, where Kevin Kelly and Gino Gambino were sat. And um, in my section, it sounded like uh, Aussie Open, the reaction to them was slightly louder than the Grillers of Destiny one. Um, and that chant at the beginning of the match carried on forever, didn't it? Um, it yeah. And it was so loud as well. It was just crazy. But uh, yeah. no, it, it, was, it, was, it must have been thrilling for you know, the talents as well to have this kind of reaction at the start of the match. Uh, I, th- I, th- I think Tama has kind of like hit a groove on what to say at the right time and the right place. He's become an interesting character on Twitter. But look at the guys who've taught him. Finn Balor, um, Machine Gun Carl Anderson, you know, uh, AJ Styles, all these guys who know how to go over on a microphone, know how to go over through personality. He's been sat watching them for the last five years and now he's been given the freedom to do what he wants to do. They've is is deploying the things perfectly to get himself over. But I think actually Tama Tonga has been one of the most interesting characters, not in New Japan, but in pro wrestling. 
he may not, again, he's not Luthez, but he is a guy who knows his character inside out and knows exactly what to say at the right time. And I think that's what makes G.O.D. compelling for a lot of people. You know, the matches are solid now. The matches are really, really good. Mm -hmm. Essentially, because they wrestled the Briscoe Brothers for six months. And if you can't get real good wrestling then, you've got no business being in wrestling. (laughs) But, you know, they learned so much from the Briscoes. They learned so much from wrestling all these people. And now they're just deploying what they know. Their knowledge is complete. And that's how they're working good. And if I I, I currently believe, I think Tangaloa still isn't signed. He's on a nightly deal with them as a tag team champion. I hope he does get signed eventually. That is, uh, that is crazy to me that they haven't yeah. signed him up, especially in the current environment with everything going on with, you know, WWE signing everyone, AEW signing everyone else. It's crazy to me that they haven't given him a contract. No, I think I think with Lower in one sense, you know, he's not probably not going to leave New Japan because of his brothers being there and the way that New Japan have looked after his family. And also, I thought he wouldn't go back to WWE because he he didn't get on there well before and. I think AEW, maybe it's like, well, I'll be an ordinary guy in AEW, whereas here I can be a star. So I think it's probably a political choice on his part. And I think maybe New Japan know that as well. So they're kind of playing both ends to the middle. But it took, I mean, Chase, look at what, I think Chase was there three years before he got offered a contract. So it takes a while for them to pay no pay attention, if you see what I mean, to the people that mm-hmm. they need, I suppose. So but there you go. Uh, right then, we move on to there was, there was some controversy which has been talked about this week, but we're kind of pressing for time today, so we're making sure we get everything done, the important things talked about. But there was controversy over the tag team scene and the match that actually qualified for that match at Ref Pro, which I'm sure you will have heard about over wrestling news over the last two weeks. But the next matchup was the Never Openweight Championship. Kenta defeated Tomohiro Ishii in an incredibly unpopular decision. <laughs> <laughs> In 16 minutes and 20 seconds, like literally everyone I've talked to said, oh, the great show was great, but Ishii should have won. Uh, <laughs> Kenta, not that popular since he joined Bullet Club. If I think he's possibly in the running with Jay White for the least popular man in New Japan Pro Wrestling because having a go at uh, Katsuyori Shibashi is a bit like beating up Santa Claus. Uh, you're not allowed to do those kind of things. Alex, what's there, your thoughts? There is an image that... I hadn't had in my head before. <laughs> Shibata as Santa Claus. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah um, Wrestling you all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so this match, Kenta, uh, I think I'm going to disagree with what you just said. Uh, Ken, I think Kenta should have won this match. I'm glad he did I'm, win I, this match. I, I, think... gonna, I was just, let me qualify that. I think it was the right booking decision. I'm not sure anyone enjoyed it. I think it was the right thing to do. Don't get me wrong. I have no issue right. with him winning okay. it. But I'm just saying it is massively unpopular with everybody else. But that's exactly what they wanted. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this this match was really, really good up to a point. And it's a real shame that the end of the match didn't uh, you know, keep up with the rest. But that is because of, obviously, Kenta getting concussed and having to sort of you know, stumble through to the end. That was unfortunate, but it was uh, a really good match up to there. I really, when this was first, when this match was first announced, this is the match I was looking forward to the most on the show. Mm. And I think it lived up to that hype where you had Ishii is always going to put on an amazing match, no matter who he is against. And Kenta coming off the G1 where, there's been some talk about you know him maybe being a little bit underwhelming and maybe not showing his his full abilities 
throughout that tournament. Now he's here in front of a really hot crowd on a big stage for a title and he wants to show what he can really do. And I think, I think for the most part he did that. I still think there is slightly more he could show if, yeah. if we're looking at what he had done when he was in Noah and yeah. in the past. But I still think this was much this was a much better match than I'd say most of the matches he had in the G1. Uh, I'd say that, you know, his match with Zack Sabre Jr., for example, was better. Um, mm. But, yeah, the real story, I guess, is unfortunately the injury, which sort of tanked the end of the match. Yeah. I, mean, I think it was... From me, my point of view, I think it's a little stodgy in places, but it was a good match. He wasn't dreadful. It wasn't Ishii's best performance, and he was doing his level best to get at the best out of him this year. Um, you know, as I've said so far this year, Ishii is my pick for the rest of the year so far. So I think he's. Um, I think it was good and it was enjoyable, but it's not like I want to sit and watch it again. I'm quite happy to have watched it once because it was a bit laying it on thick for me in in certain places. But yeah, I think I think I would agree with with you in that the interference wasn't really needed. You could hear groans from everyone, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily oh let's boo the heels kind of groans. It was oh why why is this happening kind of groans. I I think Um, that's and I I, sorry to interrupt there, but I think that's another New Japan thing. We've talked about this before, and and me and Ben Spillers talked about this a couple of weeks ago on the State of the Union address. New Japan have a tendency to book western shows to what they assume a western audience wants and that's it because always me and ben talked about like the long beach shows like two years ago it was kenny and um kenny main eventing all the time or or um cody main eventing all the time and it's like but we're new japan fans no knock on them but we want okada we want nato we want um tanahashi and Suzuki and those guys, because those are New Japan guys. And I think this was partly a little bit of that. It's like, oh, we can put some interference in because Western fans will get it. And it's mm. like, no, they're New Japan fans. They want New Japan pro wrestling, the stoic 20 minutes battles of the main event that, that you come to expect. It's like you're selling us a bill of goods here if you try and do anything else in one sense, which to an extent, as Ben said, kind of limits their audience in one sense, but equally you have to please your core or else they won't come back and buy more tickets. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I can see exactly what you mean there. Um, and it's something that I, I'm glad that we got the main event we did on this show where, although we had this match with a bit of interference, it seems like they, they sort of understood that, you know, uh, for a first big new Japan show in the UK, we wanted a, a big new Japan match as our main event. And they followed through with that. I mean, we'll get onto that in a bit. Uh, but yeah, I think it's that mindset of needing to realize exactly who their audience is outside of Japan and exactly w- what that audience wants. And for the most part, they do just want the exact same thing that the Japanese fans want. Yeah, that's it. It's how do they, how do they, they've built this kind of thing just keep doing the thing you don't have to try and do anything different and to an extent i think that's the reason why i said on the show with ben it's going to be slow and steady growth they can't do big jumps because of the way things work for them in my opinion anyway 
Uh, Mo, what do you think of this match? Because Kent is one of your guys, so I'm intrigued to see what you think of this. He is. I mean, he was one of my favourites from the previous decade. Um, being a pro wrestling Noah guy, and um, no, I mean, for, for those that have been around me at wrestling shows, you'll know that I'm not exactly the most emotive type. I'm a, a bit like a traditional journalist, um, and this is perhaps me having spent so many years writing for magazines. Uh, you know, I'll just sit there and not react too much. Um, but at the end of the match, I actually stood up and was applauding like the biggest mark on the planet. And <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I was pretty much alone in that. Uh, but no, I, I enjoyed it for all it was worth because, you know, it was it was glorious. I mean, sure, the match really did fall apart. There was some you know, really botched spots, obviously, because of the concussion. But uh, no, the, the, the booking... Um, from the uh, big angle uh, that took place several weeks ago, suggested that this really had to be the only result. You can't follow up um, a hot angle like that with Kentar losing in his first major high-profile match straight away after. It just wasn't going to happen. And it would have been just... It would have been WWE booking to do something like that, to follow up a hot angle with the talent losing um, clean. So he had to win and it was the right thing to do for him to go over. And and the reaction was, you know, just music to my ears. So um, it it was (laughs) beautiful. And it was probably even caught on camera because I think I was right opposite the hard cam as well. So uh, (laughs) I just have to go back and check it out. Um, But no, it's, it's one of those matches that, you know, had it taken place in the G1 um, and if they were allowed to go 15 or more minutes with a clean finish and the kind of mood that Kentar was in um, even despite his injuries and everything else would have been a hell of a match um, and I think in, the, in front of this crowd as well had that um, concussion not occurred um, it would have turned out to be a really good match as well and again despite the outside interference which by the way um, brought back horrible memories of some of the worst moments of the 2018 G1 where it was mm. an almost nightly occurrence, unfortunately, but no, it was, it was still good in terms of the, the eventual outcome. And that was Kentar uh, lifting the title and I'm really intrigued to see where they go um, with it and where they go with him. Um, I think it's certainly been quite a, an interesting story over the last couple of months to see this resurrection of Kentar. He isn't the work he, he was. I mean, you know, go back 10, 12 years, he was one of the top 10, 15 workers on the planet. He, he definitely isn't that anymore. But he, as we saw in the G1, still has plenty to offer. And I think that um, if they book him right, he can be a really, well, one of the more intriguing and interesting characters in the business um, over the months to come. All right, then. We move on to the semi-main event which featured Hiroshi Tanahashi, who defeated Zack Sabre Jr. in 17 minutes and 36 seconds. Uh, the wrestling reserve gave this four stars, and the cage match guys gave it 7.67. This was outstanding work from both men, and a very popular result in this particular case. Uh, though there was a glorious chant of, if you ate Boris Johnson, clap your hands, which is about the most British wrestling chant you can imagine, in the, given the circumstances. Um, which I just love this match because of the crowd participation all the way through. In fact, it was actually hard to concentrate on the actual wrestling match because of the crowd participation. I don't know what you guys were like when you were there in the middle of that, but uh, it sounded on it, just phenomenal, just the way this match laid out. So, Mo, was this match as great as it was as it looked on TV? And does this actually bring the halt to the end of neoliberalism 
and has the bourgeoisie taken over? <laughs> Certainly felt that way in the arena, absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that, that chant was glorious, and then the, the Brexit one later on was arguably even better. But, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was just... Um, Quite something actually to see um, Tanahashi live, and uh, you know I think this is again my first time watching him. So for those that are fortunate to get to Rip Pro shows regularly, um, and Alex, obviously you've been one of those, uh, you would have seen uh, you know the great man you know live and in living colour uh, more often than I have. But uh, no, it was, it was nonetheless really good to see him in the flesh, and uh, again you know it's different seeing them. Um, up close and personal in a way that, you know, doesn't quite come across on TV. So, you know, this was a, a really cleverly worked match. You know, they certainly um, wound down the pace and, um, you know, they kind of had a kind of nice, gentle start to the match. And at certain points, the crowd almost switched off, hence those kind of more political chants. Um, mm. But then, as we went into the closing stretch, you know, they were sucked totally and utterly back in. And that was all down to the magnificence of the two individuals in the ring. Um, you know, both are just, you know, incredible workers. Uh, there's just no getting away from that. And uh, they put on a clinic. And um, it was different to some of the other matches or most of the other matches on the show as well. So it was nice to see that variety coming in with this one. Um, and it was, you know, a nice contrast to uh, what we were to see um, later on, which was full-on mm. machismo. Uh, but this, this was this was this was really, really um, a delightful match. And uh, if you if you haven't watched it, you know, you really need to go and check it out. Yeah, this is something quite special. It was so well to put together. I mean, you, we look at Tanahashi now, and he kind of reminds me of Justin Liger after the the major ankle injury when Liger shattered his ankle in a fairly horrific accident uh, in the ring and had to reorganize his entire wrestling style into something that was still as exciting but couldn't jump off the top rope anymore because he physically couldn't do it. Well, he could, but he shattered his ankle again. And Tanahashi has done this again. He's kind of like brought himself down. Like you look, the story in the G1 was, I'm going to leave the high fly fly well alone until I absolutely positively need it. And now he's kind of like back to it because he needs it. He needs he needs his finisher back. And you know that he he used is that he, he's so good at telling stories using body parts. And when he's got someone like Zack Saber Jr. who's kind of like born to do this job, they they can tell such a good and strong story together. It is quite mm. phenomenal to watch. Just on the political commentary, I was talking with somebody on, on Twitter who did say they felt kind of threatened because they're fairly centrist and they don't particularly want to like um, bring politics into wrestling. And I would, so I responded, well, you know, it's wrestling. So the politics is kind of inherent. If you're watching Zack Sabre Jr., it's kind of a socialist act. That's kind of his deal. This is his, not just his gimmick, it's his way of life. So, you know, I, I can understand what that person was saying. Like, you know, well, I'm, I, don't, I don't agree with this stuff and I feel like I was sucked in. But equally, kind of knew what he was going to expect and you bought a ticket, really. I don't know where you sit with that, but yeah, it's an interesting point. Alex, what are your thoughts on this? And will indeed the proletariat uh, be victorious in the end? <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But um, yeah, I think I'd agree with what Mo said about this match, where it was a slow starter, which really became great as it went on. Um, Mo said that in the last match, he jumped out of his seat when Kenta won. In this one, I... I physically jumped in the air when Tanahashi got the pin. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> partly just because for whatever reason I I wasn't expecting him to actually win. Um and partly just because of the the whole atmosphere that this match created and I just got completely sucked in. Um it was it was really cool to see the mixture of reactions to this match live. I mean, you obviously had all the chanting for, well, not for, but against Boris Johnson and Brexit, but as well as for Zack Sabre Jr. But it was most interesting to me to see the reactions to Tanahashi, where there was a real mixture in my section of sort of mid-twenties sort of smart wrestling fans who were sort of respecting Tanahashi as this fantastic wrestler and this sort of legend. But I was sitting directly behind a kid who I think he looked about sort of 10, 11 years old and his reactions to Tanahashi were just really cool to see where it was in the past. Tanahashi has been compared to sort of the John Cena of new Japan. And that was made no more clear to me than when he came out and this kid in front of me was singing his theme tune. He was going crazy (laughs) for everything Tanahashi did when Tanahashi won he was screaming and jumping around. He was absolutely loving it. And that was really cool to me that we live in a world where you have yeah. a 10-year-old British kid is going crazy for this Japanese wrestler from across the world who go back 15, 20 years, they'd have no idea what you're even talking about. Yeah. It's just really cool to see the sort of the the wrestling world that we now live in. Um so yeah, that was my sort of main takeaway from this. As well as it being a really good match, it was mainly the the sort of reactions to the two performers there that I saw. Yeah, it it was outstanding. And again, it's down to that atmosphere in the copper box and the way the crowd worked this match as well, like how they reacted to it. You know, obviously it was a heightened weekend politically in the UK because it was the first kind of uh, weekend of Boris Johnson's kind of premiership that was highlighted and stuff. So you were bound to get something like this. There was protest going across. If, if you don't live in the UK and a lot of our listeners live in America, there was literally protest in every major town and a lot of the minor ones against Boris Johnson. He's not a university loved character in British politics. And uh, in fact, he's quite openly despised in certain places. So uh, it was really interesting to see and it goes about something we've both, all of us have been noticing about wrestling fans, especially New Japan fans. They seem to have this liberal lilt, whereas, like, say, Ring of Honor fans tend to be a bit more centrist to the right, if you see what I mean. And I think that was reflected in this particular audience because, you know, you do you kind of get that at progress shows as well. They tend to be fairly left wing. You know, they don't they didn't like Ginny because she was a Tory, and you know, and and. So there was a chat in Manchester once and Ginny is a Tory and Ginny turns to the other one, yes, I am. Because <laughs> she knew yeah. she was going to eat for it. And I think I think there's that British wrestling fans do have that. Well, that's not to say there are plenty of, you know, um, non-politically aligned right-wing and centrist British wrestling fans too. But, you know, I think there is kind of like that kind of thing going on with British wrestling because it's kind of where we're at because it's kind of more seen as an art than a sports these days. And that's where, you know, liberals tend to lie. But anyway, we'll move to the main event. Kazuchika Okada defeats Minoru Suzuki. 33 minutes and 25 seconds of my favorite men's wrestling match this year. I adored this match. From the opening 
uh, introductions of the wrestlers because I knew, having watched like boxing in the copper box and, and volleyball and all those sports in the Olympics, I knew what the arena was going to like. So when Cozy Nina Ray hit, I knew what it was going to sound like. And it absolutely defied expectation because when you watch it on New Japan World, you get the effect of everybody singing. I'm sure you guys got the effect of your section singing, but it was louder than at the Tokyo Dome. It was louder than at Budokan. It was louder than at, at um, K-Hall. You know, K-Hall's really tight-packed. You can hear all those people when they sing along with this. But, it, you know, they're kind of used to it. And nobody at the cough box was used to that kind of effect. And listening to Cozy Nia Nares being sang at the top of 6,000 sets of lungs was something special. But the pop when the Rainmaker came out was incredible to watch as well. Mo, what are your thoughts on this matchup? What are your thoughts on these two exceptional wrestlers and this outstanding professional wrestling match? Oh, so many thoughts, so little time. <laughs> it, was, um, it was just surreal, almost. Um, th th there's so many things that I noticed. Um, first of all, the magnificence of Suzuki. I mean, that, that's, you know, stating the obvious at this point, but... Uh, you know, he's such an intelligent worker. I mean, he's and he stood the test of time. He was a great worker in a slightly sort of similar style. Um, you know, when he was working that kind of shoot style um, back in the early 90s. Uh, then he's evolved over time. And you know, then he's came back into more traditional pro wrestling promotions. And you know, some of the work he's done in New Japan and elsewhere like Pro Wrestling Noah. Um, has been really, really impressive. But uh, as a live spectacle, this was just something else. Um, and, and what I really was keeping an eye on was how um, other people, not just the paying punters, were uh, drawn into this match. So you had security around ringside. And for most of the show, um, you know, if there was a really loud noise, like a chop or something, they'd turn their heads a number of these guys were actually watching the match. They were like sucked into it because it was so, <laughs> so good. And you know, another thing I was keeping an eye on was, you know, these young studs at ringside from the LA dojo. And, um, you know, again, it was, who are the, these young talents keeping an eye on? Who are they really paying attention to? And they were absolutely glued to this match. Um, and they were really kind of sucking it all in and learning those little nuances that you know Suzuki does so so well, um, but the way that they work the match, the storytelling, the timing, um, the hits—it was just you know a sight to behold. It really was. And after the sh after the show, I, I kind of was just reflecting back on the journey back home to Leicester, thinking, "Is this the best live match I've ever seen?" And I think mm. it probably is. Um, and uh, you know, I've seen plenty of live wrestling in my time, but I, I really couldn't recall a single match that I would rate higher than this one. It was quite something, and um, you know, all credit to the fans because you know they already enjoyed um, some magnificent wrestling up until this point, and they could have been forgiven for being somewhat subdued due to being almost tired, having you know <laughs> exerted mm. so much energy to into some of the earlier matches, but no, that they were absolutely with this from beginning to end. And um, that was all credit really to the talent because everything they did meant something, every single move, every movement, um, 
you know, it was it was just um, so well put together and um, a real lesson for mm. any aspiring wrestler out there. Watch this match. And, you know, if you don't learn something, then, you know, you might as well just give up now. If here's the thing. These two stood there and traded forearms for 10 minutes. The most basic striking maneuver in a professional wrestling match. Now, I'm not saying it was easy because they were in each other really hard. But if you can get a crowd ooing and ahhing and rocking and rolling with just forearms for 10 minutes, you're doing something very, very special. Because these guys know what they're talking about. These fans are like you, Alex and Mo, who are long-standing wrestling insiders. They know what they're talking about. And if you can get those guys rocking and rolling, which they did, that is something really special to watch. And watching Okada and Suzuki in this environment was just, mm-hmm. I can't say enough about it. It was just unreal to see this happen. You know, this was, to me, this was better than the Wrestle Kingdom main event. It was better than the G1 final. It, those matches were absolutely outstanding. But this just had everything you wanted in the match. It was, you know, the young champion, the unstoppable Suzuki Okada, the pain machine, Minoru Suzuki, the man who was trained by Carl Gotch and Billy Robinson, coming to his style's home country, bringing strong style back to the UK where the Joyce brothers and the Riley brothers started it in Wigan. You know, there's so much importance, so much metadata in what Minoru Suzuki stands for. He doesn't just stand for Suzuki-gun and being Minoru Suzuki. He is the tradition of the snake pit. He's the tradition of the UWF high snake pit, the tradition of the Wigan snake pit, all those styles of wrestlers that came before him is embodied in what he does. And that's a powerful statement to say, but it is. That's what Suzuki embodies. He wants to pay respect to all those. That is why he is the king. And you can bill him as the king with a straight face. And it's just something so special to watch. Alex, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's all right. You know, solid, basic, (laughs) you know. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Um, This was two absolute masters of the craft giving us a proper championship main event. This was just, it was outstanding to see. Uh, I think I'm with Mo that this is the best match I've ever seen live. This is one of the best matches I think I've seen, period. This was just so fantastic in every way from each guy completely understanding the audience they were performing in front of completely understanding exactly what would get a reaction as you said james like getting one of the biggest reactions on the show just from a forearm exchange it was really amazing um manura suzuki is just mind-blowingly fantastic at what he does just he understands the sort of the art of the performance of professional wrestling better than maybe any other wrestler i know his facial reactions his mannerisms his movements his everything is designed to generate that huge crowd reaction to get people invested and to make people care and he does it so well and okada is in my mind, Okada is the best wrestler in the world. I know we've spoken about Will Ospreay having a claim to it. I know we spoke, others have spoken about, you know, Seth Rollins or Kenny Omega or whoever. To me, Okada is the best wrestler around right now. Um, it's just, I, I'm almost lost for words on how to describe how good this match was. 
<laughs> it was just fantastic in every way. And it, I'm so glad that it was because, you know, thinking back about this match, I remembered a few years back, uh, Okada and Suzuki had another match. Um, I can't remember exactly. It may have been a, um, a Sakura Genesis or New Beginning. New Beginning 2017, just where that just was, after Suzuki Gun came back out of exile. That was it. And I remember at the time on this podcast, I spoke about finding them, that match a little boring, a little draining, a little slow. I was so glad that this time round, it was the complete opposite. It was so engaging. It was so hard hitting and everything just hit perfectly. Um, yeah, that as I said, I'm lost for words on how to describe it. It was just it, it was as close to a perfect match as I've seen live as I can think of. That's a high praise, but I think it's well worthy of that particular match. Now, in the post-match interview, uh, Kazuchika Okada thanked the London audience. And as is tradition, the challenger was set. And Sonata, Say Sonata of uh, Los Ignorables Day Upon, made the challenge. And will challenge for the third time in a year. Well, not challenge Okada, but he will wrestle Okada for the third time in a year for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, I believe, at Destruction. So that's the next match set and the next challenger for Okada. What are your closing thoughts on this, Mo? Because I know you're going to have to go in a minute, but I'll get your closing thoughts before you do. Yeah, no, it's, it's good to see um, no, to get that opportunity to, um, you know, certainly go into that next uh, IWGP match. And, uh, you know, some of the work that they've uh, done together uh, has been really, really good. And uh, as I said earlier, I think that this is an opportunity for Sonata to um, really show exactly whether he does or doesn't belong in the main event echelon. I think he's certainly a spectacular talent when it comes to the upper mid card. But what we want to see now is, is he capable of hanging right at the top and being somebody that can work credibly at that level. And that that's why this match will be good. And I can't see there being a title change though, but I think even if the performance is exceptional, that that will still do wonders for him. Um, because I still see Okada versus Ibushi being the eventual um, main event for Wrestle Kingdom with the IWGP title at, at stake. Uh, but uh, that that's where I think things are heading. And in, in a way, it was really a nice end to what was a magnificent show. Uh, and it was so great to see, as a long-time fan of Japanese wrestling, to see the power of social media and um, modern technology enabling something like this because yeah. you know 10 15 20 years ago it was unimaginable um you know for something like this to happen and um you know as i mentioned before so many of these matches so many of these talents uh, the fans were fully familiar with and it's because of the power of social media it's the power of um on demand and streaming services um and that's the beauty of it and uh, let, let's as we you know talked about right at the top of the show hope that this is the start of something now because I think that New Japan has um, a place in this UK marketplace uh, and indeed across Europe. You know, it, it certainly um, has an audience and I hope that it capitalises on that popularity and uh, establishes a firm foothold within it. 
Okay. Well, thank you for your time today, Mo, because I know you have to get going. Where can we find you on social media? Um, you can check out my inane and insane Twitter ramblings at Mo Chatra on Twitter. So that's at M-O-C-H-A-T-R-A. Okay. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Yeah, thanks both. Thank you. Okay. Alex, what are your closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I guess just echoing what Mo said, it was really cool to see a packed arena full of people who knew every character, every move, every spot, and gave those massive reactions to everyone on the show. Um, it was... It just felt like something special being there. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's the first big New Japan show or, you know, solely New Japan show that's been over here. Mm. Um, and it did feel like the start of something potentially big. I think going forward, I can definitely see them doing this, uh, if not once a year, uh, if not multiple times a year, than once a year at least. Um I think this is now a state. This is going to have to now be a staple of their calendar going forwards. Um, I think. I mean, most spoke at the top about um, the potential of you know finding a TV deal and that sort of thing. I think. I think I can see where he's coming from with that, but I'm not sure if they really need it. I mean, if they're drawing a fan base this hot from what they've been doing so far. Mm. I think the potential is there for, you know, for growth. I think, I think that they could have gone for maybe not a huge arena, but maybe a slightly bigger arena. I think they hit about, what was it? 6,000 here. I think making the move up to eight or maybe even trying to push into a 10,000 is not out of the question. Maybe mm. they'd need to, you know, build to it over another year or so. But I think it's possible for them to get there. Um, yeah. I think they possibly need some more local knowledge as well of, like, doing the show at three o'clock in the afternoon rather than doing it at seven o'clock at night. You know, um, mm. the like the if you look at big progress shows and big ref pro shows, they don't run those shows at seven o'clock at night in the traditional time slots because then people can't get to them. Like they can draw from the whole, the whole over the country. The big shows that I've been to in the last few years have always been three o'clock in the afternoon opening bells because you're having to get to Sheffield or Manchester or London and they give you time to get back again afterwards, which increases your opportunity for having a bigger crowd um, and brings more people in. Because, and also, it's tend to, the people who are going to wrestling shows tend to be guys in their mid 20s, late. 20s early 30s who have jobs on monday morning and are not necessarily going to be drinking all night so you know an afternoon show kind of suits them better you get back for the babysitter kind of deal so i think you know some local knowledge as well would with a local promoter that maybe ref pro should have pressured hey guys you need to go on earlier <laughs> you know, yeah yeah you need to think about the whole draw don't think about london think about the uk you know um so yeah uh, but equally, there's this negatives against that because it stops it from being special. It's not a nighttime event, and then that's this considered a special thing. So there's ways and means of going about this and making it a bigger and better draw next time around. It's true. It's true. But I guess you're also thinking of your global audience as well. Um, yeah, which is part of the problem of trying to promote globally, um, where you know a three o'clock show in the UK is a 
10 a.m. show on the east coast of America. It's a I can't remember the time difference, but it's a a potentially awkward time for a Japanese audience. Um, but again, that's. Well, know, but but again, if you're doing it live, yes. But this was a pre-taped show for the rest of the world. It was um, live on Fight TV in America, at least, wasn't uh, it? It was, it was. Yeah, I was thinking about for New Japan World. It was live on Fight TV, but it wasn't. It wasn't on New Japan. Even world. though, even though from what I've heard, it was you know not the best presentation on Fight yeah. TV. Let's say. Yes, that was some technical difficulties, from what I understand. But there you um, go. But yeah, but I mean, as just a quick thing on um, the end of the show and on Sonata, I think. <sighs> You know, I've I've said a lot about how big of a fan of Sonata I am and how I think he has the potential to really be a star. But I'm not sure I want to see this match again this soon. You said yeah. it's this is the third time this year that Okada and Sonata are facing stuff. Third time in a year at least. Third time exactly. in twelve yeah. I, I think you're starting to hit that match too often where yes, it's a good match, but you're not going to get a title change here. And I get the feeling that the more times we see someone on Sonata's level or on Evil's level or, you know, that sort of upper mid card pushing, trying to push into the main event kind of level, the more times you see those matches and they lose, yeah, the, the more likely. you're turning off that fan base, the more you're turning down those reactions. And... Mm the more it's potentially hurting any future they may have, which is unfortunate. But at the same time, the you know, who versus NATO every month. Exactly. <laughs> and, and who else is there that could feasibly take that loss? I mean, it's yes. The, the match for Wrestle Kingdom has to be Okada and Ibushi. Uh, so you've got what, I mean, I think Sonata, the Sonata match is at King of Pro Wrestling, I think. So that's potentially the only defense he's going to have until Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, I would. I mean, if you, you, you kind of think he should defend at Destruction, Sonata could take it off of him at Destruction, and then Okada got it back at King of Pro Wrestling. Would actually probably be a more favorable way of doing it. If you look back in the day, that's what they did with Hashimoto and Fujinami. Mm. Fujinami beat Hashimoto in a Broadway 40 minute job. On a, on a big card and then at the Wrestle Kingdom equivalent show back then, the January 4th show back then on, at, at the Tokyo Dome, Hashimoto demolished Fujinami in 10 minutes. Yeah, and I, I mean... Champion again. And I mean, that way at least you're sort of testing the waters on Sonata as a top guy and you're seeing how people react to you. You have that month or so to see how he does. Um, but yeah, I mean, outside of Sonata, I'm, I'm not sure who else there would be that could have had that match. I mean evil we've seen before uh yeah. a zach saber jr is obviously he's got other things going on mm. uh, you know a suzuki we've literally just seen it here um yeah. he's sort of thinking who else is out there that is of that level but feasibly could take that loss and yeah, yeah. it's weird no. it, it's weird for a company so full of talent that yeah. we're struggling I'm, to think of someone to fill a I match mean, I mean, Juice Robinson would probably be a perfect example of someone who could do that, but he's kind of tied up with Moxley. You know, mm. the, 
they've written everything so well for the mid card this year that the main event has kind of got tied up in a couple of issues. But I, I, that's a nicer problem to have. Than oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, to do. Uh, so. I'm d- I'm definitely not complaining about what we're getting. I'm just sort of yeah. thinking out loud about what could have been. Indeed. Yes, I can see that. Right then. Well, that brings us to the end of our coverage for Royal Quest. We'd like to thank you today. Obviously, thank you to Mo for coming and joining us. It was awesome to speak to him, as always. And thank you very much to you, sir, Alex. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You can find Alex at Alex underscore Edwards underscore on Twitter. You can find me at Sheriff Lowenstar on Twitter. And you can find the Troopany Show channel at Troopany Show Twitter. On Facebook, you can find us at The Troopany Show. And on Patreon, you can keep us free forever for everyone by looking at the Troop No Show Patreon. Please listen to our sponsors, or read our sponsors, I should say. Indie Empire with Next Edition will be out soon. Special edition coming up soon after that as well. And you can go speak to our friends at powerslam.tv and get a free month when you use our code MULLETWATCH. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Thank you very much for listening to us today, and we shall be back next week. Take care. Bye.